Welcome to Winning at Work, everybody. I am your host, Tony Moore, and have I got a great episode today because we are going back into the plant-based food world. We're going into Hungry Planet. I've got Jody Boyman. She's the co-founder and chief purpose officer. This started as a passion project with her brother. They are now a national success. You can find them in just about nearly every natural or good-for-you store across the country, including places like Sprouts, where I am here in Atlanta. We're going to get into ultimately what's wrong with the, the commercial food service supply chain. Why is it ripe for destruction? You know, what's wrong with it and why should you care? And along the way, we're going to learn the three pillars of importance, the, the purpose, the mission behind Hungry Planet, the environmental, the health and wellness, the animal welfare issues that they are trying to tackle. And these are big problems and big challenges. And along the way, we're going to hear a lot of trends that really are in favor of plant-based food. When you look at the size of the overall food industry, the percentages that plant-based food organizations are starting to acquire Uh, the projections of where plant-based food uh, could go, it's staggering. And so if you're just new to plant-based food or if you've been in the plant-based food space, you know this is nothing new. It is, it's more than a trend. It is, um, it's, it's here to stay, but perhaps you've not heard of Hungry Planet, but by the end of this, you're going to love Hungry Planet and you're going to want to connect, I think, with Jody Boyman and follow all the things that they're doing out in Santa Barbara, California. So sit back and enjoy this. Uh, I think it's a very uplifting, very you know positive, feel-good uh, story here with uh, Jody Boyman. Jody, welcome in today. Thank you so much, Tony. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I have to admit, I think I fall in the category of flexitarian. So when you so when you talk to me, that's kind of where I'm at in my food journey. <laughs> I think you're much further along that path than I am. You've been uh, plant based for what thirty years? I think you said forty five years. Yeah, well before the term was coined, I didn't know any vegans or vegetarians, but it was just a choice that I made as a young teenager. But you know, I'm so happy to hear you use the term flexitarian because I think it's a very inviting term and it is absolutely our core market for Hungry Planet. I mean, you know, we are not building food for vegans and vegetarians. They sort of already have figured out what they're going to eat. And, um, you know, it's the 98% of people out there who are now sort of um, aware of the issues and are thinking, look, if I have a choice, if it's before me um, and it looks delicious and it smells good and it costs, you know, not too much, hey, you know, I'll try that. And, um, you know, because I, I know it's better for my health, for instance. And so that's the flexitarian. And uh, there are especially because of COVID, I would say, many, many more millions of people that fall into that bucket. And, um, you know, I look at the world and I think, okay, you know, 90% or 98% of people on planet Earth, almost 8 billion people probably fall into that flexitarian, you know, description. And so, you know, we are here to invite you all in <laughs> and tell you it is not a sacrifice. It's a simple switch uh, that's delicious, delicious and nutritious and, you know, helps our environment, our health and the animals. You know, I think you just hit the nail on the head. It, it has to be, uh, it has to be delicious and it needs to be simple. And then you have all the other benefits, which is really some of the topics that we're going to be getting into today. Now, there may be people out there that are very, very familiar with Hungry Planet, but I want to just start with, get, you know, just tell us a little bit more about Hungry Planet, you know, what the mission is, a little bit more about the company culture, and then we'll transition into our, our big topic of the day, which is really the challenges in the current food system, right? Our, our supply chain totally needs to evolve because it's set up for the big commercial food producers, not necessarily the space that 
we, you know, that you're in that you're promoting. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. That, so let's that, start with just a little bit of an overview then of, of Hungry Planet. So, okay. Well, I kind of want to go back to set the stage because it didn't happen in a vacuum, right? So my two siblings and I, one of whom is my kid brother and my co-founder, Todd Boyman, who is CEO of Hungry Planet. We grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, where it's 99 degrees today due to climate change, I think. Um, and I became, you know, plant-based way before it was fashionable, as I said, or, you know, even before plant-based was termed. So about 45 years ago. And, you know, I don't, I can't really explain it, but it was always clear to me that the food that we eat has sort of this wide range of unintended consequences for, you know, human health, our health, the environment, clearly, and, you know, for the animals, which were very precious to me and always have been. So, you know, I, I guess my ethos has been, I always believe that every food choice we make, every daily food choice, you know, is a vote for the world we want to inhabit and future generations will inherit. So I've always had that ethos through, you know, other careers. I've been a wildlife photographer. I'm a clinical psychologist. And it wasn't really till halfway through my life where my brother and I, who is a businessman, um, said, you know, what can we do uh, with what we have left and to make the biggest difference because we both have skin in the game. We both have kids. And I had mine sort of later in my life because I was a fence sitter. I wasn't really sure what kind of earth we were going to be bequeathing. And it concerned me enough that I put off having kids till my late thirties and early forties. So anyway, fast forward a few decades and Todd and I, my kid brother, uh, we wanted to do something meaningful to help address some of the world's most pressing problems. And so Hungry Planet really began as a passion project to, you know, make a better and more just and sustainable world. And I think, you know, our mission is to bend the curve on personal and planetary health with delicious and nutritious plant-based meats. And so, you know, Todd and I decided the best way to do that was to build a platform for positive change that allows people to sort of eat their way to a healthier planet, you know, <laughs> right. that way. Um, you know, and in order to transform our food system, which we'll talk about a little later, you know, we had to create delectable plant-based meats that would really, you know, fit modern human beings, right? Cause we've evolved and we are, you know, very carnivorous um, for whatever reasons, humanoids have evolved that way. So we needed to address that natural craving. So in order to support this platform that we were dreaming about, we sort of dove into a decade of culinary R&D uh, to create the widest range of chef-crafted plant-based meats that very importantly having a superior nutritional uh, profile that's a one-to-one -one switch for conventional meat in any recipe. And to us, unlike a lot of other plant-based companies out there, superior nutrition really was important from day one. So, you know, our meats are packed with protein and fiber. A lot of the others are too, but we have about half the calories. We have a fraction of the fat, no saturated fat, we're lower in sodium. We have no, no non-GMO, you know, no antibiotics, et cetera, you know, versus conventional meat. So really is a, a very healthful nutritional profile. And we now offer nine different proteins. We have, you know, beef and pork and chicken and crab. We have breakfast sausage that's coming out very soon, various other sausages, chorizo, Italian sausage. We have turkey. We've perfected lamb which you can smell down the hall. And even somebody who's been vegan like me for 45 years starts wow. eating. It's so weird. Um, <laughs> right. I mean, because you know, it's not meat, but it smells like meat, right? So is that a, uh, is that a challenge for you? Yeah, it is a bit of a challenge for me, but I'm not my own market. I mean, crazy enough, you know, I, we're creating meat, as I said, for the 98% on the planet who crave it, who crave conventional meat and just need that help, you know, switching over to something else that isn't a sacrifice. So, you know, we have raw, we have uh, raw formed like patties and links. 
And then our newest line is pre-cooked um, because we need to make it easy for people that are been dealing with COVID and are just overwhelmed with cooking duties. So I can't wait. I hope you get to try our new ch- uh, crispy and fried chicken uh, cutlet, which is just outstanding. Um, it's so easy. We have pork gyoza, you know, Thai meatballs, all that stuff. So back to the vision, you know, we, we, we just had this conviction. We wanted to have these three pillars of environmental impact, health and wellness, and animal welfare. And that last one I know gets lost in the mix a lot, but that is just candidly what started this journey for me as a young child was just being aware of the animal welfare issues. And as I grew older, I was in college and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, it's actually so much better for my health. And then I got older and I was like, oh, you know, the environment can really flourish if we can just step back from, you know, having animals trapped in our food system. So, um, yeah, we just, our objective is just to make it easier for people to choose plant-based meats and just to nudge them, you know, in that direction. We like to say that we're the secret to making delicious food healthier. And we want to appear to, uh, you know, appeal to uh, hardcore carnivores you know, vegans are nice if we get them, but don't doesn't matter to me so much. And and flexitarians like you, you know, we want you to try our foods and and decide maybe once a week or once a day, you know, to just make that simple swap. I love that you really have honed in on the market, and I have talked to other people, both online and offline, about this plant based craze. I call it a craze because it's getting a lot more attention. It's been around for decades, but. Yeah, it's, really, it, it's getting the investment now, right? And it's it's getting into some of the major restaurants, so it's really yeah. becoming more you know aware to the carnivores, as you've said. And I like the strategy that you're taking is the one for one swap. And you you said right at the top that you are uh, addressing the carnivore and going after that um, craving. Now yeah. I've talked to others that they kind of want to break that craving. They're trying to get them to go on a different path. And I think my personal opinion, I think the choice that you've made is, is the easier road. Well, look, you know, so uh, it's all great to just be hardcore carnivore and go, you know, I'm going to go cold Turkey. Ha ha. Great term, right? (laughs) (laughs) Pun intended folks. Yeah. Pun intended. But the recidivism rate is enormous, right? So even if people sort of really wholeheartedly like new year's resolution want to make that change, the fact of the matter is unless they have foods like hungry planet meats, like hungry planet, they're going to fall off that wagon pretty quickly because look, you know, all of our favorite recipes, even, you know, my grandmother and my mother, you know, have all these amazing recipes and, you know, now I just take them and I swap one ingredient, the meat, whatever it is in that, if it's lasagna or whatever, and I put plant-based, you know, uh, beef in there or Italian sausage for that lasagna and, then I can serve everybody at the table, right? I can serve, you know, people who are still eating a lot of meat and loving it. I can serve, you know, myself as a vegan. I can serve my kids who were raised vegan and are now more sort of vegetarian. They eat a little bit of cheese. They don't eat meat, but they eat a little bit of cheese. So that one dish, you know, serves everybody around the table. So we're just trying to make it easy, right? Just swap out one thing and nobody can taste the difference. So why wouldn't you do it? Yeah, I think especially when you're putting it in a family recipe, you're not trying to introduce something totally new, totally foreign, and everyone kind of flags go up and they're looking, they're analyzing, they're poking it. It's different, right? When it's, oh, this is grandma's recipe, and they just dive right in, conversation starts, and then, oh, by the way, did you know you've been eating such and such? My neighbors, um, they've just recently moved, but he's been in the food business forever. Um, he's a Cuban descent and they just love to cook and, uh, his wife and his daughter, they're, they're vegetarian. And I didn't know they had made the switch and they had been feeding me for, for years. <laughs> I mean, they, for years, I mean, cause they would try something new. They say, Tony, you know, you got to come try this or the doorbell would ring. Yeah. And there she, you know, there she was with a plate and, you know, I'd eat it and you know, the whole family would try it. And then I'd get a little text message later, like, 
did you know that didn't have meat in it? Uh, you know, like what, you know? So it's kind of, it's interesting how it's introduced to people. I know this is maybe not our topic today, but you know, it's the psychology behind it too, a little bit. It is, you know, we like to say that we, we offer, you know, delectable, versatile, nutritious meats that just happen to be plant-based, right? So they're on par with conventional meat in terms of taste, texture, aroma, you know, how you work with them, how they cook, all of that. Um, and so again, it just has to be an easy play or the average person is just not going to be bothered to make that change. And so that's our whole mission is just make it as easy as possible. And then to draw, you know, awareness about how, you know, remaking meat, which is what we like to say we're doing directly from plants, you know, it's really key to solving uh, climate change, right? It's, it's um, you know, remaking meat is key to preventing the next pandemic. Um, remaking meat is, you know, how we remove antibiotics from the food system. We should all be concerned about that. Something like 90% of all the antibiotics used go to farmed animals, because they're so tightly confined, they get sick so easily, they're given to them prophylactically so that the whole shed of animals doesn't collapse with XYZ disease. But that just means that, you know, human beings are now not going to have those antibiotics work for us. So it's very scary uh, what's going on there. And I think everybody should, for that reason alone, <laughs> should be like backing off of conventional meat. Well, and I will say, I've, I remember, I don't remember specifically when the report came out, the, the news article came out, but there's been talk that the traditional antibiotic that's given to, to people is becoming less and less effective. And I don't know if, if that that's has any... Exactly right. That's exactly right. And it's because of using too much of it in yeah. animals. So tell, tell us a little bit more about the trends that are happening right now. Obviously, plant-based is certainly growing, but maybe do you have some more specific or kind of unique trends that you're seeing? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it, it, so Todd and I were uh, getting ready to launch this company, Hungry Planet, you know, way before plant-based was on trend, way before Beyond or Impossible was even an apple in anybody's eye, right? We were patiently working away at the R&D to perfect it to use, you know, less ingredients and more healthy ingredients and all that stuff from a long time ago. And to use the surfing analogy, because my daughter is a, is a big time surfer, you know, we were out there on our surfboard looking out to the horizon going, okay, when is our set going to come in? You know, we were watching these smaller little waves and all of a sudden this big wave <laughs> appeared on the horizon and, you know, thank you beyond meat, you know, uh, for educating the market to the tunes of hundreds of millions of dollars, right? At least educating the beef and burger market. So we're starting on the surfboard. Here comes the wave and Todd and I are like, oh, wow, boy, howdy, we better get up on our surfboard. <laughs> get your board out there, right? Right. So yeah, in 2020, you know, some interesting statistics, the dollar sales of plant-based foods was 7 billion, right? In 2020. And that is a 43% dollar growth in two years with a 57% household penetration and a 78% repeat rate, rate. So of course, you know, we want to see that repeat rate go up and we think the more delicious and affordable, we'll see that rate go up. Um, plant-based meat total dollar sales for 2020 was 1.4 billion, which is a 27% uh, dollar growth in two years with a 40% household penetration and 75% repeat rate. So if we, Todd and I like to look at plant-based milks as a proxy, right? So in a very short period of time, and they're a much smaller category than meat, they have already garnered 17% of the liquid milk market, okay? I'm telling you, back in the 
early 70s when I was doing this, I had to go to the health food store, buy powdered soy granules, bring it home, mix it with water, you know, put it in the refrigerator and try to choke it down. Right. <laughs> what a difference today <laughs> makes, right? It's strange, you know, so I'm delicious like, now. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm the biggest fan of Oatly. Like I have three different flavors of Oatly in my fridge. So anyway, they have garnered 17% of the market already, like in the blink of an eye, right? So you'll open any refrigerator in North America, something like 50% of all refrigerators have a plant-based milk next to a cow milk, right? It's a hybrid sort of situation right now. That's us. That's 100% us for sure. Every home I know has that, right? So 50% of all U.S. homes have that. So the total global meat market value is something like $2.4 trillion. So once we also reach 17% of the overall meat market, you know, it'll be a significant dollar amount. I, I think it's like close to whatever, doing the math, 400, some, 400 some odd billion dollars, right? And so, our, you know, we're maybe 0.5% or 1%. Yeah, from 1.4 billion to, what did you say, uh, 400 billion Yeah, we're going to be, you know, if we can reach that 17% that plant-based milk already has, we're looking at something like $410 billion, right, And so of the market. And that's going to happen pretty quickly, um, I think. We're at, at, what, $1.4 billion now. We'll be at, you know, over $400 billion here um, in my lifetime. Hopefully the next five to eight years is sort of our projection. Uh, Because, yeah, this category is on fire um, for all of the reasons that we have discussed, human health, you know, planetary health, and of course, animal welfare. Well, that really does lead us into our topic about the food system, because if, in order for it to expand to those revenues, yeah, right, the supply chain needs to evolve. So let's start with just what do you think is wrong with the current system? <laughs> do we have enough time? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Honestly, the conventional meat industry, the food system is just so ripe for disruption, right? It's As we said, it's a $2.4 trillion global industry. To break it down, that's about $240 billion in the U.S. alone. It's, let's just say, it's inefficient, it's unhealthy, it's environmentally irresponsible, it's inhumane, it's unjust, and it's inherently, you know, unsustainable. So, um, you know, while alt meat only accounts for like less than 1%, um, you know, it's going to take everything from plant-based to cultivated to fermentation to turn this food system around so that we can all realize what I want to see. And I think most of us want to see, which is a more humane economy, right? So, um, honestly, the animal protein industry has spent decades you know, wringing incredible efficiencies out of every part of the program. And, you know, animal meat gets to externalize a lot of its negatives, which are, you know, like health care, the ecological stuff, the animal welfare, the work, worker welfare, that all gets externalized. And so, you know, if we can feed almost 80 billion land animals every year that wind up on our plates, why can't we feed nearly 8 billion people? Um, you know, so we've got, what, 9 billion farmed animals that are raised just to be slaughtered each year in the U.S., and that's 24, uh, 9 billion, that's 24 million animals killed each day in the United States. So, you know, and I think I mentioned this before, but if everybody ate a Western diet, it would take five Earths to sustain. So it's just, you know, unsustainable, clearly unsustainable. That's so, a staggering statistic. When it you, is, right? It, when it, you break it down like that, five Earths to... Yes. Well, it's just because of, of, of the amount of uh, land space, right, that's needed. That's right. Land and water, all of that. So if you just look at the water savings of shifting plant-based, you know, like in one month of eating plant-based, a person can save 46,000 gallons of water. I live in California. That's significant. We're in a drought. We will always be in a drought going forward due to, you know, climate change. So we all need to be switching plant-based for water reasons alone. 
Um, and in one month of eating plant-based, we can save almost 14,000 pounds of grain, um, almost 950 square feet of forest, and importantly, 620 pounds of CO2, right? So, um, and then, you know, it's kind of a little disgusting, but if we just look at the sheer waste issue. I, I, I was waiting for it. Yeah, particularly like in the southern states with where there's just intensive factory farming and you've maybe seen drone footage of these ubiquitous lagoons that are just filled with animal poop that they have to, you know, aerate and spray all over the place just to try to disperse it. And it winds up in people's yards and it makes them sick. But these factory farms are responsible for 1.4 trillion pounds of animal waste in America every year. And, you know, they're a threat to the water we drink and the air we breathe. It's, it's staggering and really scary to me. So we just have to get it under control and we have to shift, shift more plant-based. Do you think the consumer is going to force the change you know, I have to, my hat is off to social media and I was, I was late to it um, because I'm not really the demographic, but early in our company, I ran all seven of our social media platforms because I realized it was the key to awakening, right? It was the key to consciousness raising about the issues so that people can make informed choices. So if you were to ask me, is it possible without social media, I would say, not as likely. Like, you know, I'm one of those that's held protest signs in the 70s and the 80s. And, you know, you go home at the end of the day and you're tired and you're grimy and you think maybe I changed three people's minds, you know, to not uh, eat as much meat or to not wear fur or whatever I was out there, you know, being an advocate for. But on social media, you know, we can show these delicious recipes. And on our website, we have hundreds of chef-crafted recipes for people to just click on and make in, you know, no time. And so, you know, I have to be hopeful that those tools are going to help, you know, this go viral and this awareness go viral about, you know, how all these simple changes that we can make about the food we eat just have huge consequences. Um, so I have to remain hopeful because it's easy to get down about it because I was just listening to, um, a friend of mine on a podcast and he was saying that 2019, we ate more animal protein globally than we've ever eaten in history. So unfortunately those numbers are still inching up even as plant-based is landing on the scene and continuing to have huge impact. So it's going to take a while to bend that curve as Todd and I are, you know, framing it, but awareness is everything. And, um, I really do feel like more and more people are engaging in the conversation. Um, especially young people, you know, who are inheriting this planet, uh, that we're ruining right now. And my kids are, you know, it's an existential crisis for them. And it breaks my heart um, because my generation has really screwed it up. And it's incumbent on us to do something about it, you know, so that we can all get out of this death spiral we're in. You know, the, the pandemic really did set the, the climate and the environment back in so many ways. I mean, there was progress being made on maybe using less plastics, et cetera. And then everyone just went to over the top, you know, ordering everything and having to pick up and bring everything home. So that yeah. trend, that trend really carried across many, many other industries. So, you know, you're not alone. There are, there are many other groups that are obviously trying to affect change and they've, they've realized, Hey, you know, last year was, was a bit of a step, was a, a setback. Yeah, it was. It was a setback. And yet it was also a time of a massive awareness raising because people were, home and they were fearful and they were also for the first time really actively seeking out more healthy food choices to try to support their immune system, you know, to fight against COVID. And so, you know, if there was ever, if there was any silver lining, that might have been it. It sort of kickstarted a little bit of this search for healthful and delicious and nutritious, um, you know, that category is just growing phenomenally. And we are definitely, you know, front and center in that category. 
several episodes ago, I had the, the board president from the Plant-Based Food Association on, uh, Nicole Sopko, and we discussed some of the challenges facing plant-based food organizations um, at the federal level and at the state level, really due to legislation. And I don't know if, if this is an area that you have seen kind of be a, a challenge for your company or not. She seemed to think it was uh, an issue. You know, you, it's the meat lobby is very powerful. And we talk about trying to change the supply chain. How do you evolve? You know, you're also kind of dealing with those powers and those forces as well. Yeah. So look, it's a very uneven playing field. So, you know, in my, in my tougher days, I sort of want to raise my fist in the air and say, it's not fair. You know, I mean, look at all the federal subsidies for conventional meat. You know, why aren't we getting those same subsidies? We're creating meat directly from plants, you know, and everybody complains, well, your food is more expensive. Well, it's because we're not subsidized. You know, if you had to pay the actual value of a Whopper, it would be something like 11 or $12, people. So, you know, just... Spend- that's interesting. Now, wait, whoa, whoa, let's back up. Yeah. Is that is that accurate? Yes. I mean, I... I- Yes, that is accurate. We absolutely prop up and subsidize conventional meat globally, but particularly in the United States. And to your point, there are, there are lobbyists, you know, for the meat industry. It's a, it's a juggernaut. I mean, it's, it's a huge, huge force out there. And, you know, so the fact that we're getting their attention when we're so itty bitty, you know, and they're starting to push back and try to put all these laws in place to prevent us, you know, calling ourselves plant-based meat, you know, and all of that. I mean, look. Yeah, they take issue with the word meat, don't they? They, they do. But look at coconut meat. I mean, you know, there's a lot of terms out there that are used across many different kinds That's of fruit. Food. And fruit. You do see that. Yeah, there's a whole list of it. So. We're founding members of the Plant-Based Food Association back in its infancy. We were one of the first seven companies to join. So, you know, we are so grateful for partners like that and the Good Food Institute that are just in there um, with, you know, their finger on the pulse of all the regulatory stuff, all the stuff that's happening in Washington, how it's cascading out to the various states that are trying to put restrictions on what we do. Um, you know, we don't personally have the bandwidth for that. We now have about 42 employees, but, you know, it's sales and marketing and design and operations. I mean, we got our hands so full just scaling up to make our foods available for the skyrocketing demand that we're just not, you know, day to day as, you know, in the weeds with what she is, but we're so grateful that they are uh, because somebody needs to be looking out for our interest. I mean, that's the benefit of being part of that of that organization and that group. That's yes, 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 absolutely. It exists and that's yeah, they're great. They're they're really great. Well, I'm going to have to do some more research on the subsidies because I I'm very aware that they are happening, and I've also seen a lot of um, you know government you know purchasing lands and kind of reducing the amount of space we have to farm. I mean, there's a whole lot. It's a very very complex issue. I know when we drive up into the mountains of North Carolina, we'll pass by seems like miles long of just cornfields. And we were just thinking, you know, where is that, where is that being used? And we, we think that's just being used for cattle. It is. And an interesting statistic is because we're all concerned right now with the Amazon, right? Which uh, used to be a, a carbon trap and now has just reached the tipping point as it is a carbon emitter. If that doesn't send chills down your spine. I don't know what does, but what are they doing? They're slashing and burning down there to grow what? Soy for whom? Cows. So 90% of all the soy grown goes to feed animals so that we can then eat the animals. So the same is true because I grew up in the Midwest, like you said, just miles and miles and miles of this monocrop out there, you know, right. so there's right. not monocrop. That's a right. thank you. That's, that's why I knew I was missing the term for that. Yeah. So soy and wheat and corn, all of that gets fed to animals so that then we eat the animals. It's just inefficient. Like why not just eat, you know, it's not going to tofu. <laughs> Can we just grow soybeans and eat tofu or eat plant-based meats? I mean, it's just, 
better for us. It's better for the planet. It's better for the animals. You know, one of the reasons why I absolutely love working in the food and beverage industry is the people that I meet, they're so, they're just so passionate. And you are a, a wonderful example of just a, uh, a huge heart and just you throw everything you have in, into what you believe in. And I just love working with people like that. And I just find it all across the board. And I want to talk about how you move the needle at work. Um, people have discovered, I like to call it a superpower. And everyone has their gift, their skill that they use to win at work. And I, I love to kind of discover, kind of explore what it is you're doing that helps you, you know, accomplish things. And maybe there's some skills that other people can learn from how you go about doing this. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that question very much. Um, you know, I would say I have a few superpowers because I'm a mom. So thing, uh, right? I wear my cape around my house all day long. Oh my God. I tell you, moms, uh, you know what? That's, that's, you know, for us men, you know, what can we do? You know, I don't know. it's like, we're, it's like, okay. Yeah. You're, you're going to own that one, but yeah, no, I know, I know. And I'm raising my kids on my own. So it's just been, you know, it's been uh, an even more challenging. Than, yeah. I yeah, I, I would say that my superpower is empathy. And, um, you know, I, I'm an empath since birth, really, which means that I can feel, you know, the weight of the world in the pit of my stomach. Um, that's a wonderful Patty Smith quote that really resonated with me and really describes sort of my orientation in the world. You know, I'm highly tuned to the emotions of others, um, which, you know, led me eventually to get a master's in clinical psychology, um, which, you know, really applies ultimately to building the team at Hungry Planet. But, you know, since, since birth, I've always, you know, I can always see things not only from my own perspective, but from every sentient being's perspective. And, you know, that propelled me to connect the dots at an early age between, you know, the food we eat and the unintended consequences of those choices. Um, and empathy, you know, helps create a safe and supportive culture at Hungry Planet where, you know, our team is growing really rapidly. Um, you know, I oversee, I'm, I'm the chief purpose officer because I do have, uh, you know, a lot of heart for what I'm doing. I'm passionate about what I do every day when I wake up and I oversee, you know, the sales and the marketing and the design, uh, um, you know, parts of our company. Um, I did all that by myself when it was just Todd and me in the early days. And then, you know, also I'm involved on the operations side as well, but, you know, less day to day. And, you know, I was just in St. Louis for a week uh, of meetings last week and to attend the DOT distributor show. I don't know if your listeners know, but DOT is the largest redistributor um, and they are absolutely key for us to grow our brand. And, you know, I have to tell you, I just... I feel such pride in our individual team members and, you know, what we are able to co collectively accomplish. Um, there's just a great vibe, a great culture. Everybody's pulling together. Everybody's working really, really hard. You know, um, communication is, is excellent. You know, people are seeking, you know, friendships with these, each other outside of work to play table tennis or go for a jog or whatever. And that's always a great, you know, indicator that the culture that you're building is, is strong. Um, so, so I would say that's it, that my superpower is empathy and, um, you know, just appreciating what other people bring to the table and helping to nurture that so that we're stronger together and can really, you know, bend that curve on personal and planetary health, which is my mission, uh, has been my whole life, but is particularly my very focused mission with Hungry Planet and, you know, for the rest of my life. How does that help you in business decisions or dealing with people as an empath? I want to maybe, can, can you explore or walk through any examples of how it's helped you through a situation? Because not everyone's going to express that 
trait maybe as strongly as you do, but it's very successful for you. So for those of us who maybe are uh, less on that spectrum, yeah. you know, how, how can we bring it out? You know, how do we more effectively use it? Yeah, I think that's a great um, question because it is a spectrum. Um, every All human traits are on a spectrum, right? And so I'm going to be really uh, high on that. Um, you know, for me, it comes down to um, active listening. And when people feel heard, um, they flourish and they give you their best selves and they perform above and beyond yours and their wildest expectations. So, you know, I always try to really be a very good active listener. Um, and, you know, I, I think I create that safe space for people to be able to bring things to me, you know, that are bottlenecks or that are, you know, that they're having an issue with or whatever, because, you know, together we can, solve those problems. I mean, I don't want anybody on our team to feel siloed or like they're alone in something that they're struggling with. And, you know, as soon as you join arms with them and you say, Hey, I, you know, this is tough for you. I can see it. Let's work on this together. Let's find solutions. Right. So we really encourage everybody at our company to not come to, you know, C-suite with, with problems you know, come to us with solutions, you know, come to us with three or four solutions and let's discuss which ones might, you know, work best or how to prioritize those. Is that a trait that you look for when you're hiring, when you're adding to the team or is maybe your strength, does it kind of outweigh maybe someone else's uh, empath? Yeah. You know, so I think it, you know, it's a constellation of, of traits that you're looking for uh, most of the time in an employee. Um, we happen to be a mission and purpose-based company, you know, so it's always a bonus for me if I can find somebody applying for the job that comes with, you know, a sense of passion, a sense of mission, and they, you know, maybe have been on our website and they, they resonate with ours. Um, we find almost always that people that join our company um, that are, you know, full-on carnivores or are, you know, tepid flexitarians, you know, over time, they just naturally kind of gravitate towards eating less conventional meat and, and putting, you know, more plant-based meats on their plates and being excited about it and telling their friends about it. So, um you know, it's a balance of, of characteristics that we're always looking for. But, um, yeah, I, I want to see, you know, somebody that, that just has that fire in their belly and is willing to, you know, work hard from a mission sort of uh, perspective because, you know, I'm telling you what, if this were easy, everybody would do it. It is not easy. Food is not easy. Plant-based meats is not easy. Um, is a heavy lift. And so we need hard workers who, you know, are after the same end game as we all are. And, you know, some of those people come to us with amazing financial skills and some of them, I mean, we have an awesome design, you know, department um, right now and sales and marketing, all of it. Um, but we all work well together because I think we've sort of selected for those key components that are, you know, true for every person we've hired just in varying degrees. Yeah. When I set out to help a client hire, it's really two buckets. It's look at the culture. Do they play well with others? And do they, do they share your mission? Do they share your values? And that sounds like that is a, a definite theme because the organization was based on that. So if they don't have that, I could, I would not see that person being, you know, ultimately successful there. And then of course the skill side, there's a lot of different ways to assess skills through interviewing and vetting and assessments, which we do. Yes. But yes. Yep. All of that, you know, and we've been really fortunate. I mean, you know, we have not had many hiring wobbles. <laughs> that. Well, but, I mean, that's good because it's, you know, hiring is tough. It is tough. And I read, and maybe you can tell me, I read that 40% of all hires don't end up at their company something like six or eight months later. Is that 
Is that true? That seems really high to me. That does seem really high, but I guess if that number is also including some of the hourly or, or lower level people, then that's very possible because they could just leave for another dollar. Yes. Yeah, that's true. You better not have that. You better not have that problem in your um, in your management ranks, or you're you know yeah. you're dead. Yeah, exactly. You you don't have time to even produce your product or to get on your socials. You're just in this. Uh, you're you're stuck in the hiring supply chain. That's it, right? You know, and and we all wear more than one hat at this company. Um, we're all, you know, incredibly versatile in what we do. We, you know, we focus in certain areas, but we, we really are, you know, kind of Jill and Jacks of all trades to some degree, um, because we are a startup. You know, we're emerging out of the startup culture um, here now with forty two, whatever forty three employees. Um, but you know, not long ago, it was just me and Todd. And then it was a couple other people. And then, you know, crazy times. I mean, just 100-hour weeks for years, uh, years and years and years. It's, it's, it's been a busy time, but it's an exciting time. And, um, you know, the future is, is bright. It really feels bright to me. Well, you've got me really excited to go back and look at some of my family recipes. And I've got some great Southern cookbooks that I want to go back and just kind of take a look at and see where can I – do some more substitutions and then try to figure out, okay, where can I, where, you know, where can I buy Hungry Planet? So when we're talking about how people can find the product, tell us a little bit more about that. Where can, where's, where's the distribution and uh, give us some, some websites that they can discover more. Yeah. So, um, yeah, thanks for the opportunity to, to talk about that. Um, right before the pandemic, we were exclusively a food service company. Uh, we got loaded into our distributor, which is the Holy Grail, uh, in January. <laughs> and then COVID hit. We're like, oh, just kidding. You know, nobody in food service is ordering food anymore. So, you know, we're an agile company and we're like, okay, you know, so we need some retail, you know, items. So we pivoted. Um, we actually advanced by almost 48 months, what we were going to, what we were planning to do on the, on the retail side. So we now have, uh, 14 retail items with three more ready to heat meals coming soon. So a chicken piccata, a Salisbury steak and, um, a Italian sausage penne. So those will be available in groceries. Right now, you can get our food um, in many Albertsons, Tom Thumb. Um, you'll be able to get us in all Sprouts locations. I think there's 364 or 362 locations across the country in about three weeks. We'll be on shelf there. We're frozen, so you will find all of our meats on the frozen in the frozen aisle. Um, we're also really big now on the e-com channels because what did COVID teach us? We can order everything to be delivered to click, our click, click and ship. Yeah, so go on Amazon, look for our you know Hungry Planet store on Amazon. All of our foods are available there. You can just click and it gets shipped to your doorstep. Um, you can find us on Costco.com. We hope to be in several regions in the stores before long. If you just want, you know, smaller amounts and you want to order directly from our website, we have a shop on our website. So that's just shop.hungryplanetfoods.com. And, you know, there's free shipping for everything. You can get our ground meats and our burgers and patties, variety packs, all that stuff. So, well, did you say free shipping? Yeah, free shipping and it's frozen. Yep, it's a good deal. It's really uh, that is that is a great deal, and I have a Sprouts about two miles from me, and I've got a Costco about two miles from me, and I've got an Amazon about <laughs> two in, about two inches away from my mouse. <laughs> so there's really no excuse. There's really no excuse, and you know, for people that want to eat it out now that restaurants are slowly opening back up, you know, on our website, which is hungryplanetfoods.com, if you click the Find Us button, um, it shows all the delis and the restaurants and the grocery stores where you can find our food. So you just put in your zip code, and you know, magic, it just pops up, and you can find out where you can go, you know, to eat Hungry Planet. And you know, we always encourage people to follow us on social. 
um, at Hungry Planet Foods. Um, you know, we've got a, a large and growing Instagram uh, audience and uh, Facebook, and I'm I'm very active on LinkedIn. If people want to follow me there, um, I'm a regular poster, so you'll find out you know where we're expanding into. And you know, uh, true to our name, Hungry planet. We are not just in the United States. We believe this is a global play. Uh, we've had a global vision from day one. So we are widely available in Singapore. Uh, you can find us in Australia and New Zealand and Chile and other places and hopefully many other places in Central and South America um, soon. So just have to stay posted. This is very exciting. And we are definitely going to have you back on and I'm going to give you a report. I'm going to I'm going to tell you how I did with my, <laughs> you know, I'm your, you know, this, I, I'm your market. You are. You're my target market. I am. I am your absolute ideal. Yeah. I mean, you know, one-to-one switch. It's, it's a one-to-one swap. Super easy. Don't overthink it. You know, all of our meats are lean, so you don't want to overcook them. That's the only thing I like to say. It's lean meat. But just use it like you would use any conventional lean meat. And, you know, we've got tutorials on the website. You know, we are a chef-crafted company, so, you know, taste comes first. All those recipes up there if you don't want to use your own for inspiration. Um, It's just fun to get in the kitchen and make that one swap and serve the meal and nobody knows. (laughs) I know. You know what? That's what I'm most looking forward to doing is is tricking my 21-year-old. Trick your 21-year-old and, you know, trick your neighbor. Go across to your neighbor and yes. go, um, Yes, it's time to repay the sneakery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Repay the sneakery on the other side. I and love it. I love it. Joey, I, I, I have to tell you, I have I've truly enjoyed just getting to know you a little bit better. And um, you're just you're just a very bright light. And I'm, I'm just, just grateful that you took some time out of your very busy day in your week to to come and speak with us and just kind of share this um it's a huge trend right and like you put at the beginning riding the wave i'm really glad we're we're here we can all kind of watch listen and and witness you guys ride this this big wave yeah well it takes us all right everybody should jump on this wave even if they're just going to ride it for a few feet at a time uh it's exciting space to be in uh we've got a great team to help expand out we've got a great commercial partner um, you know, distribution is expanding. So yes, it is, it is a really exciting time to be in the plant-based meat space. And, you know, Tony, I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to chat with you about it today. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye-bye.